What's up, Liberty Lovers? Today's show is sponsored by our friends at Ammo.com. There's nothing more American than ordering a stockpile of ammunition and having delivered right to your doorstep. But you know what? It gets even better than that. Not only does Ammo.com deliver sweet, beautiful packages of ammunition right to your door, they're also run by libertarians. In fact, you can read an awesome article on their site right now that I've linked to on the show notes page called Locked Up, How the Modern Prison Industrial Complex Puts So Many Americans in Jail. And you know what? It gets even better than that. When you buy at Ammo.com, 1% of every single sale, that's gross sale, not net, goes to a libertarian cause of your choosing that you get to pick at checkout. And the best part, the kicker, through the link ammo.com slash Lions of Liberty, you get $20 off your order of 200 or more. So support this show, help to spread the ideas of liberty, and buy some ammo to defend your personal liberty. Bam. What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Liberty. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is the show where each and every single Friday, I focus on exposing injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. And on this week's show, I got a very exciting, very controversial guest who's coming on to talk about a project, a project that is going to, well, let's just say it's going to upset some of the gun grabbers on the left. And it's taking taking some laws that they think that they put in place to, uh, to protect people. But in fact, these laws have put in place have taken away the rights of American citizens to defend our rights, to defend our life, to defend our property. And with this specific project, we are we have the opportunity, I should say, to push back and to reclaim some of that ground. So you don't want to miss this. Just hang on just a minute. I just want to let, remind you guys, if you've forgotten, that this is only one of three shows on the Lions of Liberty podcast feed, which you can subscribe to by going to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts, Overcast, wherever you hear your podcasts, go there, subscribe. So you get our Monday show with Mark Clare, our longest running program, our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. This past Monday, he hosted, interviewed one of the greatest leaders, one of the most knowledgeable people in the field of foreign policy that I've ever heard and met, in my entire life, the incredible Scott Horton. So if you missed that, click back in your feed, check that out. Every Wednesday, we have a show hosted by Brian McWilliams. It is called Electric Liberty Land, and Brian is a very funny, very crass, very uh, passionate uh, lover of liberty, and he does a fantastic job with that show. It's getting great numbers, so check that out every Wednesday and every Friday. Of course, this show, Felony Friday, where I interview people who are making waves in the uh, 
in the legal system, in the criminal justice system. I bring on from time to time, I bring on felons to tell their story, um, their plight going through um, this broken, broken criminal justice system. So that's the three shows, guys. So check them all out. And that's it. Let's, well, wait, one more thing. Show notes page, because you're good for this episode, you're going to need it to uh, check out some of the links to help out, hopefully. You can find the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com slash FF161. All right, let's get rolling into today's show. My guest today is Austin Jones from Atlas Arms. Uh, Atlas Arms is a 501c3, which has the goal of bringing armor-piercing bullets to the masses. Austin is the chief engineer, and he heads up the project. Uh, He is also the co-founder of 2020 Armor, and Austin has previous experience in uh, the startup enterprise application, experimental technology, and soft body armor. In addition to that... Uh, he's done design work on the micro uh, meteoroid shielding for soft-bodied spacecraft. So I'm sure, I'm sure he's a very, very intelligent guy, and uh, has contributed to in-depth knowledge of the principles and technologies employed in textile-based ballistic protection. Uh, Austin, welcome to Felony Friday. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. And, you know, the reason that I'm having you on is to talk about the Atlas Arms project. I'm looking forward uh, to spending time talking about that. But before we go down that road, before we go down that path, I know that you're a liberty lover, a libertarian. If you could just give give my audience a little bit of a, a background on, you know, what, what lit that spark? What, what uh, you know, really drew you towards uh, the ideas of liberty? Uh, well, I think I have somewhat of a... I don't know, common path that I followed. I guess you could say that when I was young, uh, I was kind of conservative. Um, and then midway through high school, uh, I started realizing that uh, I was not all about kind of the, the, the neoconservative ideas that were going around the Republican Party at the time, that uh, I guess my politics lied elsewhere. And I very much like bought into kind of the whole... I don't know, like the the great mythology of the American Revolution, and I and I still do. I saw, you know, great. My my heroes are Ben Franklin and uh, you know Thomas Jefferson and 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 those. Um, so that's kind of what it was. Uh, I think at the end of high school, you could have wrapped my entire politics up uh, into a "Don't tread on me" flag. <laughs> you know, uh, one of those, right? Um, and then as I went through college, I just kind of, I really thought about it a lot. And uh, I have I have some some friends that are really big into philosophy that I owe to kind of help me refine my ideals. I tried to, you know, really think about in black and white terms uh, what what the principles are that I believe in, and I tried to stay coherent to those. So. Um, pretty soon, by the time I I graduated university, um, I guess it was four years ago. Um, I realized that I have I have two principles. That is that uh, individualism. So individuals are the fundamental units of humanity and the only moral and ethical actors. And second, that um, utility is absolutely irrelevant to morality. 
And so I think uh, that everything I believe in, all of my belief in liberty and, and non-aggression, uh, market economics just kind of, I don't know, falls in place with uh, coherency to those two ideals. Yeah, and I think uh, as libertarians, we can sometimes get in the trouble, get into trouble when arguing uh, using a utilitarian argument, um, because it's 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 not foolproof. Um, it doesn't mean that it's 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 yeah. arguing from that perspective, saying it's the best case all the time, might not be true. Um, but when you talk about the ideas of liberty from an individual perspective. It's always true that you you shouldn't harm someone um, if they're not harming you. You shouldn't use coercion to uh, to further your ideas. So I'm definitely on board with that. I, I should say, I mean, I, I find it, I find that there's this nice piece of, of, I don't know, uh, serendipity that, in fact, it just so happens the utility often does go along with uh, with the morality, but. Of course, I think that it's established that way, not the other way around, because you will end up at some circumstances. Like, for instance, I do think that it is very useful to have to have a, a wall along the U.S.-Mexico line, but I also think it's immoral. So, you know, it's, you can't use the utility to get to the morality. All right. Well, we, we could talk about this for uh, probably the whole show, but that's not why everyone's listening. That's not why right. everyone's here. So, yeah, we want to talk about... Um, Atlas Arms, this really unique project. I spent the past two days looking into it, reading about it, watching the the video you have there on the website. Um, so before we dive into the specifics, can you just give people an overview on uh, really the genesis of this idea? Where did it come from and, uh, and who else is behind it with you? Sure. Okay. So uh, for me, this kind of starts, uh, there are kind of two lead-ins to it. My, my personal lead-in which is that for a long time, I was thinking along the lines of, well, you know, I, I've always been kind of a gun guy and uh, I have my, my libertarian streak that's quite radical uh, and I'm an engineer. So I was thinking about projects that could use technology to undermine uh, firearms regulations. The, the first idea I had was to make a homemade gunpowder factory because gunpowder is extremely difficult to produce and is like the easiest handle uh, that I think regulators have on, on the fundamental technology of firearms. That doesn't work out. Uh, you, you get to a point where foreseeably it, it does, in fact, become as dangerous as you might think it is. Um, so uh, that didn't happen. <clears throat> but uh, I did have some other like really radical concepts that I'm very excited to work, to work on uh, in the coming several years, um, it got to a point where I found a lot of friends. I, I found uh, Mike Crumling, who helps on the project now. I found uh, John, who's an engineer at Defense Distributed. Um, and uh, they're really excited about this stuff, and, and I am too. But I knew I would need a simpler project to start with. And this is by no means simple, but uh, that's where I came to here. So I was thinking, what firearms regulations can we just obsolete with technology, make it such that what the regulations, you know, are locking down doesn't even matter anymore. And so that's how I came to this. Now, the other path is the legal. Uh, So in 1985, Ronald Reagan was president, you know, that pro-gun conservative 
And what did we get out of it? But, you know, a, a, hand, a fistful of firearms regulations, including the machine gun ban, and also this ban on armor-piercing ammunition. Uh, a few years earlier, NBC had a primetime special where they talked about, oh, cop killer bullets, how, you know, police wear body armor and these armor-piercing ammunitions that are, that are on store shelves uh, endanger police uh, because they're capable of, of breaching their armor. Now, the fact of the matter is, to this day, not a single police officer in the United States has been killed with armor-piercing ammunition. Really? Uh, wow. So it's... Yeah, so it's it's entirely well. You know how it is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's just the kind of the, the sensationalism. That's oh, the same um, thing around uh, assault weapons. These weapons of war on the street. Uh, yeah, right, it's the same same right. idea. Yes, exactly. But uh, the law in 1985, the banned uh, it banned the manufacture and the import of armor-piercing ammunition, but not the sale or the possession. Um. And it defines as armor-piercing ammunition uh, a projectile that falls under one of two criteria. The first is composition. So it can't uh, – so armor-piercing ammunition is a projectile or projectile core composed of steel, iron, depleted uranium, tungsten, beryllium, copper, brass, or bronze. Uh, the other thing is that uh, even if it doesn't have any of that in it, uh, it can't have, it can't be a fully jacketed projectile, um, or it is a fully, pro- uh, fully jacketed projectile whose jacket weighs more than 25% of its total mass. So what, I mean, I, I'm, I think I know the answer, but what was the reasoning behind these specific, um, limits here? Was the only armor piercing bullets at the time composed of, of these elements or? Right. Well, so obviously you can't say anything that's able to pierce armor because you're just opening the door. I mean, that's banning essentially all guns, right? I mean, like rifles can penetrate, you know, pistol armor. Um, and it just, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work well like that. So, uh, and then you also can't say, well, anything intended to, because intent, I mean, that's all, that's a, that's a not very easy term to define and, and you can get that flipped over. So they really had to look at kind of the, the features of the ammunition of the day that was intended to, to penetrate armor. And so there's a, there's a brand called KTW that was made of, uh, it was just like solid brass uh, bullets. And then of course, what the military uses um, on a large scale, it's depleted uranium. And then for small arms, of course, they use mostly lead and copper jacketed uh, ammunition that has like a steel or tungsten core. So I think that they were really just trying to like put it through a features test. It's like, what is an assault weapon? Well, you start with what you think of as an assault weapon, and then you say, oh, well, the features on it are this, that, and that. And I think that's what they did here. They just said, what is armor piercing? And then they identified the features that, that uh, armor piercing ammunition has. So, so what's your plan with this project to overcome those limitations? Well, uh, I, I think the most important intuition for libertarians to realize is that legislative law and the state in general in its mode of control is wholly reactive. They can only try to manage what already exists. And even of that, we, we know, like we're always laughing at their ridiculous understanding of gun technology. Um, so they can barely understand what, what was, 
And now we've had what, like 33 years since this ban, there are new materials. There's like millions of materials on earth. You know, there's many more ways to make, make a bullet penetrate armor than what they were using in 1985. So that's, that's what really the, the crux of my project. I'm using materials that were still, they're still uncommon, but they were very rare and expensive then. And they're not now, um, using, um, uh, a different, I don't know, you could say construction. Uh, it's a new way. It's a new like physicality, a fundamentally new bullet design. Uh, and then also the, um, a new design that's never been used before. Is it right? So yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, there are things like it that have been made, uh, and you could say that it's kind of like this crossed with that, but but nothing like this. It's a it's a whole new way of of manufacturing, um, and uh, yeah. So, but between the two new materials and this new geometry, uh, I will go out on a limb and say that these projectiles will work much better even uh, to penetrate armor than the armor-piercing ammunition from 1985. What, what makes you uh, think that's the case? Uh, well, first of all, uh, I, I know what I'm talking about because I, I know body armor, uh, as, we, as we talked about earlier. But then also, uh, there's lots of research. Um, I do have prototypes, and... Uh, I'm I'm looking at testing them in the in the coming months. I'm really um, really working hard with some uh, gunsmiths to to get a test platform. But uh, I've done I've done a lot of research on military arms from around the world. Uh, stuff made by the U.S. military and some some ammunition made in Russia. Some that's made in uh, the Czech Republic. And none of it is like what I'm doing, but just kind of the aspects of what they're doing, uh, of what they have done, that put together in my, in my I guess, professional judgment, um, it is much more than enough to convince me that, that this is going to be far better than anything the public has ever seen. Oh, that's exciting. Um, so you're starting out with the nine millimeter, right? That's that's your first. That'll be your first attempt, your first release. Right. What's right. what's, what's the reason for that? Uh, so nine millimeter is first and foremost the most popular cartridge in the United States. I don't think that any. I think the the most popular model of pistol in the world in the United States is the 1911. But that shoots, you know, 45 auto, which is, I hate to say it for the fanboys out there, but it's a fat, slow sucker. Uh, and it's not good for, for penetrating armor. Um, but 9mm is very, very common. More 9mm is bought than, than even 45 auto. Uh, and it's, it's pretty light and fast. Um, and uh, that, that helps. Uh, a lot of armor penetration comes comes down to making it really fast. You want you want speed and not so much the mass of the bullet. Um, so uh, that's that's one thing. And and uh, to me though that that that's huge. Like that it that it is everywhere. That it's so ubiquitous. If we can do this in nine millimeter, we could of course do it with with even more powerful cartridges like ten millimeter or forty Smith and Wesson. Uh, but but if it's nine, then then that's it. I mean, pistol armor becomes obsolete at that point. Right now, the five seven pistol can penetrate soft body armor, 
Uh, but nobody has that. It's a very expensive gun to buy. The ammunition is expensive. Nobody has it. It's a very niche kind of thing. So it doesn't really, it, it, it doesn't matter. So um, yeah, nine millimeter, if you do a nine millimeter, then, then it's, it is done. And it, it really matters to the public. So have you received any pushback either from just individuals, maybe people on the left progressives who are like, who, who is this guy? He's going to kill everybody. Or from, I mean, from the government. Have, have, have you had any pushback from uh, that direction? There is, this is like an interesting case study because um, of course there's like the typical anti-gun crowd that's, you know, championed by Pelosi and Feinstein and Schumer. And the the Huffington Post put out a piece on on what I'm doing. Uh, I guess it was last week. Um, That's probably right right before they all got laid off. Must have been. There were some big layoffs at the Huffington Post. Oh yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know. I, I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so they put out something, and uh, I saw a lot of you know leftists crying about it on Twitter. But I think largely they don't even know what to think about it because especially again, the left and uh, the progressivists, again, it's just a reactionary machine. They know that gun control means this, like whatever we're arguing about right now, that's what they think about. So for them, it's like, like armor piercing ammunition has been settled for 33 years. This isn't part of the current debate. So I think that they don't even know what to think about it yet, especially um, because of, again, the implied anti-police nature of it. Right now, of course, uh, the radical left, if we can use Antifa as an example, is very much opposed to um, to police, at least, you know, at least in word and theory. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that they really have a position on it yet. On the other hand, where I'm really seeing the screech back is the conservatives. And in fact, um, as I, as I expected, conservatives are really divided on the issue. Some of them are very happy to, you know, win back some of our, our gun rights. But the other half, of course, worships police. And, uh, you know, it's the thin blue line uh, kind of stuff. They believe that police are their, their great heroes, defenders of justice and all. Um, so, of course, they still can't escape the, the little fence that they were put in with the, the arm, you know, cop killer uh, cop killer verbiage. Um, and so I've had, I've had a lot of them screeching about it and saying that, Oh, this is terrible and moral. Why would you do this? You know? Um, so yeah, that, that's the way the lines are drawn. Yeah. Basically the expected response, I guess. Um, of course you're going to get pushback. Uh, yeah, I think it's really unique the way that you've talked about rolling this, this out. I mean, you're not going to, at least I think you said you're not going to produce it yourself. You don't want a monopoly on uh, the production of this uh, of this ammunition. So what what is that plan to roll it out? What's what's your strategy going to be, and how far away are we from that happening? Uh, well, the the first thing I need is I mean, if I can plug it right here, the first thing I need is funding. So all you all you listeners, yeah, go for it. Uh, please uh, you know help me out, uh, help complete the project. Um, we have a crowdfunding page. Uh, hosted on on gundynamics.com. You can also go to our website, outlessarms.org, uh, and you go hit the donate button. You'll find a, a link to the page there. You can also donate Bitcoin, of course. Um, but yeah, so we need to raise uh, money to uh, for this to happen. Like I, I mentioned, um, <coughs> we need to buy testing equipment first and foremost, and uh, the equipment we need uh, 
is typically, it's not many people need it. And the ones who do usually have got government money behind them. So they've got an infinite supply of other people's money. Uh, and I'm looking at $10,000. Now, this equipment really, if it was the free market, it would cost maybe 2000 mm-hmm. But we're looking at, at $10,000. And, and so we, we need to raise that. I'm looking at ways to get around that and to demonstrate that we can penetrate armor uh, without having um, without having the, this equipment. But that that's really first. Um, once we have the equipment, I will uh, work with the machine shop that makes my prototypes to dial in the, the design based on the empirical evidence that, that we're seeing in testing. Uh, and uh, once I have good loading data for it and, and I know how to manufacture it very well, I will, I will write code for the ghost gunner uh, for this so that anybody with a ghost gunner can buy or, or make for themselves the jigs wow. to do it and they can make this stuff at home. And then I will have uh, our machine shop uh, make a first production run and uh, we'll, we'll get a batch out on shelves. So all of that will happen once I put it out on shelves that first, uh, that first production run, then I will publish the, uh, the manufacturing specs, what you need to make the projectile and then the loading data. So what you need to actually load, um, load the projectile into uh, a completed cartridge. Um, and that, that's it. That, that's the end. From there, we move on to, to other calibers uh, and, um, and the other projects. That's all there is to it. So, so what's, the, what's the full funding that, that you need to execute all of this? I don't know so if you said that. I'm looking for, for $30,000 for uh, the development. Uh, now, of that, immediately 10000 mm-hmm. I need for the equipment. But we also need uh, a lot of funding for or to pay my lawyers mm-hmm. uh and and that's to that's not just to protect me but that's to make sure that the atf recognizes it as the legal ammunition that it is yeah. uh and uh and you know so other people can make this without having to worry about the atf coming to their house raiding their home and dragging them away to prison um and and that's quite expensive firearms lawyers like that uh are not common and all of them live in Washington, D.C., which, of mm-hmm. course, means that they get paid even more. So uh, we need a lot of funding for that. And then, of course, we need um, prototyping and testing materials uh, like um, like ballistic, uh, ballistics gel uh, and clay and, uh, of course, the body armor itself because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have to go through a lot of it. And, uh, and we want to show that we can we can penetrate not only the cheap stuff, but even the, the, the high dollar expensive stuff. Absolutely. So, you know, that that's, be- that's what the cops are going to have. And not that you want to shoot cops, but if they're shooting at you, it, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's I slippery, should slippery slope to, to walk down, but you know, <laughs> I, I should unleash my, my typical disclaimer. I mean, I do believe yeah. in non-aggression. I don't believe in, you yeah, know, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Shooting cops, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, so that, that's not why I started this project. I started mm-hmm. this project to give, you know, liberty back to the people, but you know, it, it is a good, it is a, a good second objective of the project to point out that you can either have police privilege or you can have firearms rights, but you can't have both. Yeah. I think I love this project. And one of the reasons I love it so much 
is because, well, like you were saying before, when you're talking to someone on the left, you're talking to a, a gun control person, they think this is settled. They think, okay, we won this. Let's move to the next one. Let's move to take away more of these guns and, and uh, take for more of these guns from law-abiding citizens. Yeah. When you go back and say, nope, actually, that's not settled, and we're taking that right back, um, they're they're on their heels. They're defensive, and it it opens up everything. It makes us more secure in our liberties, at least at least for for a period of time. So that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I appreciate those words. Thank you. Um, that's, that's how I'm trying to, to make the project. Mm -hmm. I, I would like to point out also that <clears throat> a lot of the design work that I put into this is making it specifically easier to manufacture than traditional AP ammo, which means that if you want to take the risk, even after they make this new, you know, if and when they make this new stuff illegal as well, you can still make it just as easily as you can make anything else with your ghost gunner. Uh, even easier, in fact, because you don't have to buy a pre-made like 80%. You just buy stock off of like McMaster car or somewhere. So this will still be easy for people to make. And even if the words on paper say you can't do it, I'm, I'm making sure that you still can. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I know that when you start talking about the ghost gunner, Cody Wilson, who has gotten in some trouble lately, totally unrelated to, uh, to that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think it, his approach was the same. And when, when he was doing his media tour after winning his fight, really, I know there was pushback and he was getting sued by States, which I'm sure is still happening, but he was putting, putting the left, putting the, uh, the gun grabbers back on the, back on their heels. And it's, it's nice to see. It's nice to see that we're doing that from the approach of gun rights. I think as libertarians, we need to start finding ways to do that in other aspects of life, which is, it's not easy to do, but it's a, uh, it's a good, a good template for success. I think that we've seen from, from yourself and, and from Cody. Yeah, I think so. I think the best way to fight the state is just, you know, make the, make the, the world that it's trying to control gone just mm -hmm. replace it with a new more advanced world that it doesn't understand exactly um so let me give you another minute here uh to to plug everything again and let everyone know how they can help and how they can uh, support this yeah okay uh well um you can go to our, our website to find out more that's the place i shove everybody uh it's a good hub atlasarms.org not .com, but .org. We are a 501c3, so it's atlasarms.org. Um, from there, you can get to our crowdfunding site, which is hosted on gundynamics.com. I like to plug them a little bit, too, because they're, we have sort of a partnership going. Gun Dynamics is a crowdfunding site that's specifically made for firearms projects. And they have some other stuff on there that, that you should check out. Uh, nothing quite as like explosive as this, but... Um, uh, it's good because they're, they're helping people that have been deplatformed de from Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Uh, and then uh, I, I guess that's that's about it. Uh, if you go to gun, gundynamics.com, uh, you can find our campaign there, or you can link to it from atlasarms.org. All right, Austin. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode with Austin Jones. Um, as you can tell, very knowledgeable, very smart guy. Just incredible work that he's doing with Atlas Arms. Um, you know, I 100% fully support this. Encourage you guys to go to the website, atlasarms.org. 
um, get involved if you can. Donate a little money. This is a uh, very worthwhile effort, in my opinion, and I'm very, very excited to uh, to be a small part of it, being able to interview Austin today to give him a platform, because that's what the show's all about, giving a platform to people who are making changes, changing the systems, changing the laws, working for liberty in any way possible. So definitely check that out, and I don't have much to say today. I'm just going to remind you, uh, we love... All of you who listen out there, um, please, if you haven't subscribed to Lions of Liberty podcast, please consider doing that. Uh, you know, our, our patrons, the people who have loyally supported us for so long, who uh, make us m- make it um, possible for us to do this show and not uh, burn our own money and go in debt and kill ourselves over it. Able to support us, you know, we don't make any money on this show, but at least we don't lose money, which is nice and keeps us going. That's why we've been able to do this many shows. So uh, thank you all, uh, you know, from the, from the bottom of our heart. And if you want to join in and, and help us out too and, and help this show to grow, then uh, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. That's it. I want to thank you all for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. Burning.